Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. This week we've got them on the chairs. Um, if you have a question that comes out of today, um, you can write them on a card. I had a couple last week and put them in the box. Uh, you can come and ask me them direct. And then on the 6th of October, in a couple of weeks, there will be some kind of interview with Pauline and I, during which I will try and answer some of those questions, or, or hopefully as many of them as I can. Um, so yeah, Pauline and I got married uh, 29 years ago today, and uh, uh, it's been good, it's been good. So um, in fact, there's, you know, we, we were talking a little bit today, um, this morning, um, and we're a little bit weird like that, because Pauline and I talk kind of all the time. Um, and when I say that, I literally mean we talk n- nearly all the time. So in the mornings, we get up, get ready for work, we go off in our separate ways to work, and we normally talk on the way to work. And then we normally talk on the way back from work. Even sometimes we're talking on the phone when she's outside the door and then we can hear each other as we arrive into the door. So it's a little bit weird. You would have thought that we'd have other things to get on with in life. Um, But that has been one of the hallmarks, I think, of our relationship. And if you were to ask Pauline, we were just talking about it this morning, um, one of the ways that she knows I love her is because of the, the level of engagement we have just through conversation and being together. So, so Pauline won't know I love her because of the gifts I buy, <laughs> because you'll know I am rubbish at buying gifts, and uh, I've bought some really bad ones over the years. Um, and she doesn't know it because of uh, necessarily jobs I do, because I'm not very good at jobs. Um, but she does know it because of the engagement that, that I bring and that I, I have with her on a daily basis. So it's fitting that, it, that we're talking about this uh, today. I mean, it wasn't planned particularly that way. I didn't plan it around my anniversary. It's just the way it's worked. Um, if you were with us last week, we tried to do a kind of a biblical timeline for, for the question of marriage from Genesis through to Revelation, looking at that, that, that kind of the theme, the two become one. And that was kind of propping up in all the passages that we were looking at, or at least most of them. And in doing so, it also led us to talk about some other things quite naturally, like um, marriage, we were talking about primarily, but then it talks about divorce, it talks about singleness, it talks about sex. Whenever you talk about marriage, those things crop up. And so that's what we did a little bit last week. And it was a little dense, I get that, I accept that. Um, But the idea was just to paint the picture. It's almost like, what what is this meant to look like? How do I understand myself within this kind of context? That was the idea of the morning. And certainly in my own spirit, I felt, okay, I I delivered what I had wanted to on that. And so, as I said, I'll deal with questions in in a couple of weeks, although you can come and ask me at any point. Today, we're looking at something different. We're looking at Um, If marriage is like I talked about, and it's as important as I talked about, and I talked about it when when Jesus says that, you know, um, essentially it's it's for life, it's for good, he makes this really high view of it, how do you you make that work? How do you get there? 
How do you get there? And so we're going to look today at how you prepare for marriage, potentially, and then we're going to look at two things that I think are absolutely critical in marriage, although you'll hardly hear them related to marriage, and that is grace and redemption. Grace and redemption in our relationships. Now, I'm going to be applying it specifically to marriage today. I want to focus there partly because marriage, in a way, is a measurable relationship. Yeah, You can measure it. Um, Whereas other relationships, the same thing is required. Grace and redemption is required in all our uh, relationships, but we can't always measure them uh, so easily. And people, sadly, fall out all the time. And sometimes they never get restored. And even in the church, we find ourselves out of relationship with people, bickering with people who were once upon a time close friends. So grace and redemption and how important those are. And particularly, um, and you'll see because we're taking them from the scripture for the Christian. Yeah? Grace and redemption are not necessarily natural responses for us, um, but they are for the Christian, or at least they should be for the Christian. When God lives in you by his Holy Spirit, you've been transformed by the gospel, grace and redemption should be part of the deal, part of the way that you are. I want to start, though, by talking about the importance of preparation. Some of you will be very, very organised people. Put your hand up if you say, yeah, I'm an organised person. No, right up. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, don't be ashamed if you're organised. Put your hand up if you know, do you know what? I'm not an organised person. Yeah, okay. Well, wow. We do not have an organised church. Yeah, there are more hands that have gone up for being not organised. Let's just do that again. Put your hand up if you're organised. You know you're organised. Right up. Put your hands up if you're not organised. Yeah? So, do you know what? Even in those relationships, we need grace, don't we? Yeah? Those of us who are not organised, or those of us who are organised, need to extend grace to people who are not organised. Yeah? That's, that's true. Because otherwise we get frustrated. Um, so, some of us are organised and some of us are not organised. But put your hand up if you know the importance of preparation whether you consider yourself organised or not, you know, do you know what? Some things need preparation, yeah? You need to prepare for exams. You need to prepare for holiday. You need to prepare for a business trip. You need to prepare if you're going to do any charitable works. Um, How many of us have ever run a marathon? Has anyone here run a marathon? Okay, there's a couple of you. Tom, you ran a... Last week, Tom ran a marathon. Not last week. Okay, sorry. A few years ago, you ran a marathon. Well done, well done. Uh, now, if, now, most of us can't relate to this, but if you have run a marathon, um, particularly if you ran something like the London Marathon, I know they send almost a booklet that tells you how to prepare, when you're meant to run, what, and how you do it, and you kind of build it up. And if you've never run a marathon and you got that booklet to run the London Marathon, you probably wouldn't argue with it. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't go, nah. I'm not going to run 12 miles today. I did that last week. I'm going to do it. No, that's wrong. I can do it differently. You're not going to do that. You're going to stick to it because you're going to go, if I follow these um, guidelines on that day, I'll run a marathon. That's what it tells me. If you follow it, you'll run a marathon. I don't know how many of us have ever climbed Everest, but 
if you went to climb Everest, I mean, maybe not in here, if you went to climb Everest, somebody would tell you exactly what you need to do. This is how you do it. This is how you prepare for it. Because if you don't prepare well for climbing Everest, there's a real chance you might die. Yeah? If you don't prepare well for a marathon, there's just a chance you won't make it. Yeah? You won't reach the end of it. Without proper preparation, if you don't prepare for exams, you're likely to fail. You know, if you don't prepare for holidays, you're likely to miss something, leave your passport at home or whatever it is you do. Without proper preparation, we're more likely to fail than to succeed at stuff. In fact, you'll only succeed at stuff um, without proper preparation, almost by, by luck. It's lottery. Will we make it? Will we not make it? Will almost be a lucky thing if you don't prepare properly. Yet too many people get married without any prior appropriate preparation. The biggest relational commitment you can make, people make it impulsively. People make it thoughtlessly and people make it on the rebound or whatever it is. They, they don't prepare, they don't have help and sometimes they do it out of infatuation or as I say, impulse. And then rather than us review how people enter those relationships, we simply make the possibility of divorce and separation a quicker thing. Yeah? You would be surprised how many divorces end up no-fault divorces. No one's at fault, it just happens. No-fault divorces don't encourage serious self-reflection on what might have gone wrong. What could I have done differently? We can spend more time, energy and money planning the fairy tale white wedding than we do thinking about the lifetime together that comes after. We can spend more time and money on the wedding than we can on what's coming after. Let's just look at a few stats. A few years ago, you'll see them come up on the PowerPoint. 2016, 250,000 couples got married. Less than a quarter were in a religious ceremony. It's the lowest ever. So the trend for religious Christian marriages is down. Um, the general trend in marriage is down. Um, although most families, 67% of families, are, are, uh, are made up of a married couple. Most. But the trend is down. 18% of uh, couples are cohabiting, i.e. they haven't got married, but they're together. That trend is up. 15% of families are lone parent families, and that one is pretty stable, actually. It's not going up or down, particularly. In terms of divorce, divorce as a, uh, um, as a percentage is at its lowest since 1973. But in 2019, 102,000 couples divorced. The average duration of a marriage before it's divorced is 12 years. But probably the, 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 that stat goes up for marriages in their first seven years. I think 40% of them. There's a higher percentage of them that don't make it. And the number one reason for divorce is not adultery. It's not because I've run off with my neighbour's wife. It's unreasonable behaviour. Overall, 
42% of marriages end in divorce, half of which end in the first 10 years. And a lot of those marriages end in no-fault divorces. So we walk out of it as though, like, maybe I didn't do anything. There's an increasing number of divorcees that, after a while, both regret it and wish they'd worked harder at it when they were in it. Now, if we were to translate these stats into any kind of sporting endeavour, just imagine um, the marathon. We talked about the marathon earlier. Imagine if in any given year a million people ran a marathon somewhere. Just imagine if the percentage were that 400,000 of them never made it to the finish line. That's a huge percentage. If you think about the London Marathon where 30,000, 40,000 people run, imagine if nearly half of them fail to finish. Nearly half of them fail to finish. I mean, we, we would have all sorts of inquiries. We'd have all sorts of questions as to why that might be. Why would so many people not make it to the end? We would be questioning, is, is, is the marathon a right thing for us to be doing? Are we approaching it right? Is there some health problem in the nation? Why so many people are not finishing? Because the truth is, when you start a marathon, if, if you've been sensible, you would have trained and been prepared for it. You may get injured, there are other things, and, and you're thinking, actually, if I run my race, I know I can finish this. Yeah? You may never have actually run a marathon before, but you've probably run 20 miles or something, so you kind of think, I know I can finish this. If we were to think about it like that, any kind of sporting activity or exam, if, if, if suddenly, instead of 90% of kids passing their GCSEs and their A-levels, only 50%, 60% in any, right across the board passed, we'd be like, oh, what is going on here? Yet those are the statistics for breakdowns of marriage. Married relationships. It's commensurate to that. It's like 40% of them don't work. It's not simply that we've changed and decided another way. We've kind of decided another way because that way doesn't work. We've kind of made it easier to be together. Culturally, it's just easier to be together. It's not that we've become more committed because for most people, the biggest commitment that they would have together is the mortgage. Oh, yeah, you know, our, our name's on the mortgage. Yeah. I remember when I, when I was working at CBS, a friend of mine, she said, oh, yeah, the, the biggest commitment we've got together is our mortgage. I was thinking mortgages change daily. <laughs> what we do, though, as a society, is we simply accommodate the reality that that number of relationships end. We just think that's the way it is. Pauline and I have been involved in marriage prep and advice and support for many couples over many years. Sometimes the truth is couples don't know what a good marriage is meant to look like. They've not seen it. They've not experienced it. Other times, even if they've got an idea of what it's meant to look like, they haven't been given the tools to achieve it. You see, you don't learn to run a marathon by going on to Google and downloading guidelines for marathon running and just reading them. 
Yeah? You don't learn to swim by reading about swimming. Yeah? You learn to swim by swimming. You learn to run a marathon by training. Yeah? And yet sometimes, even within marriage, couples can almost do that Google thing. Now, what, what is a good marriage? Let me have a look. What are we meant to be doing and what are we not meant to be doing? You don't find out through Google. Google won't help you make your marriage work. There's more to it than that. So what we've done over the years, with what we've developed in our kind of marriage prep, is just four quick things I'm going to mention before we get into a couple of scriptures. The first thing is um, we're always trying to, when we meet with a couple who are going to get married, we're always trying to identify issues that that couple may face that might be unique to them. Yeah, and we do that, we use a questionnaire, we just use questions and, and discussion, and you work out, oh, okay, she really loves money, he couldn't care less about money, problem. Yeah, problem. Yeah, it sounds funny, but in the moment, people will split up over that if they haven't got other things in place. Or um, we often ask this question, which I think throw, throw people, we'll talk about rules of engagement. Do, how do you, where do you go when you argue? And I don't mean, like, what room do you go into? I mean, what, is, what does the argument look like? Because if people fight without any kind of boundary, sometimes, a lot of times, people get very hurt or even people die, yeah? If, if you just see people fighting and there's no rules of engagement, people die. Yet you can watch a boxing match between two very, very big people, and I'm not saying they don't get hurt, but they rarely die because there are very clear rules of engagement. And very early on, Pauline and I put in rules of engagement in terms of how we would argue. Now, it might sound odd, but this was true. Yeah? If you heard us arguing, which we do occasionally, and we have over the summer, what you will never hear you will never hear name-calling. You, boom, boom, boom. You'll never hear that. You'll never hear me call Pauline names or describe physical... You'll never hear that in our arguments. You will, unfortunately, very, very occasionally, hear a word that we shouldn't say, yeah? Very occasionally. Be honest with that, you'll hear that, Yeah? Not so much now, but in the past, I was known, I threw my jumper across the room in anger. I kicked the piano stool. Very rarely, if ever, will anyone leave the room. We're engaged in some kind of conflict, discussion or confrontation. Very rare, if ever, will you see someone walk out the room and slam a door. We don't even let the girls do that, yeah? If we're having something with them, very rare will anyone leave the room and like almost turn around, tuck, leave the room and shut the door, yeah? That's an immediate, no, 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 no. Yeah, there are rules of engagement. Doors don't get slammed. Very rare will things get so aggressive that one or other of the party feels intimidated yeah? I mean, sometimes Pauline intimidates me, but it's not normally through that kind of aggressive thing. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel I'm on the ropes here. Yeah? But very rarely will there be 
an aggressiveness to the point of intimidation. There is not violence. For us, none of those things are okay. And, there, and there's no excuse for that. There's no like, oh, well, that's just the way I am. Yeah, when I get angry. No, it's not just the way you are. Those kind of things are a choice. There are rules of engagement. The problem with having those things when you argue, if every time you argue, those things are in place and you argue a lot, that becomes more damaging than the issue you're arguing about. Yeah? Relationships will end simply because of the way people talk. And in the end, it becomes too much. Every fight needs rules. Otherwise, people get hurt unnecessarily. And sometimes permanently. Now, if you're dating or whatever, there are usually signs about engagement early. Yeah? You can pick it up. Don't just brush it aside. Secondly, when we are doing marriage prep, um, we're looking to create a culture in the marriage in which you're encouraged to talk and work through issues that arise. And, and Paulie and I have been doing that even from before we got married. We made a point of talking. That became the thing. That became the way we did things. We talked. Thirdly, you've got to look a little bit at the past to see if there are particular issues from the past that may have an impact on your new life together. I remember talking to my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. They were doing some marriage prep with a couple, and it came out after this couple got married that he was addicted to pornography, and she didn't know that. And that was having an impact on their relationship. Fourthly, there are principles for living and being fruitful and flourishing as a married couple. It's a long-haul approach. If you prepare well and appropriately, you increase the opportunity for a lifelong fruitful marriage. If you don't prepare appropriately or properly, you might get there, but it's more of a lottery. But it is possible to, to be a little bit more certain of it. Good preparation is really important. But there's more. And that's why I want to touch on these two key attributes that I mentioned at the beginning. Grace and redemption. You need them in preparation, but boy, do you need them in the relationship. Once you've got past that day, suddenly grace and redemption need to kick in. And I'm just going to say a little bit about those. The first is grace. And I've talked about this. If any of you were at Simeon Ibby's wedding, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I've heard you talk about this. Yeah? Grace. Or another word for that is acceptance. Acceptance. Romans 15, verse 7 says this. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, obviously, Paul at that point, he's writing to the church in Rome. But to be honest, he could be writing to a married couple. He's writing about every relationship, but he could write specifically about this relationship. Grace in marriage seems quite counterintuitive. It's hard to see at first that this could work. Your natural inclination is the opposite of it. Marriages that last 
and stand the test of time and thrive. They win through the challenges and struggles of life. They are built, whether it's known or not, they're built on a, on a foundation of grace. And what I mean by that is acceptance. The acceptance of one another. It's foundational. Because although we often marry with every intention to accept this person, we also sometimes, um, you know, I accept the wonderful person who's next to me on my wedding day. Uh, but in our minds, the wedding vows are not necessarily completely real in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, to love and to cherish until death do us part. We're not so much thinking about that. We often naively think people don't grow old. They're always going to look this good. And they're always going to try and please me. And over time, they're going to become the person that I've always wanted them to be. Yeah, you can think that. You know, over time, they're just going to change. They're going to become more like the person I've always wanted them to be. We forget this reality that people don't change. And people do change. The same person. They don't change, and they change. The truth is, our marriage partner changes in ways that we don't want, and they don't change in ways that we do want. Now, you imagine when you're watching that happen. Yeah? People often talk about when you get married, oh, you let yourself go a bit. Yeah? They begin to change in ways that you don't want. I, I, I wasn't expecting that change. I was thinking that this might happen. But actually, this seems a long way away, and this seems to be becoming very fruitful. Changes I don't want. And changes I do want, and I'm like, how do I deal with that? The person I married, they, they look like this. And now they're like this. What's happened? How do you deal with it? Now, obviously, if your marriage is shallow, you're going to already at that point begin to question. Wow, I, this isn't the person I married. What am I meant to do about it? It's a quandary, which is why... You must embrace the truth of acceptance. It deals with that quandary. If you don't embrace it, you may forever be dissatisfied with your partner. Oh, they're not the person I thought they were. What am I going to do? Or you might be dissatisfied, but you might never actually say, and you're always trying to change them. Yeah, you see a little thing, you know, you find that, oh, um, normally he just sits there and watches the TV. Today he's moved to get the remote control. Let me encourage that. Come on, move, move. Get up. Yeah. Or he's, he's walked somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, walking's great. If you're dissatisfied with your partner and always trying to change them, that will come out. It's hard to hide that. And you'll find that that's tiring for you and also sapping for them. Your partner will know that they are not accepted. Yet for the Christian, the Bible says, when it says, um, it, it tells us to change, why does it tell us to change? Because Christ accepted us. It tells us to accept. So our motivation to accept our partner, our husband or our wife, is not simply that, oh, it's the right thing to do or, you know, that's it. Um, it's because I have been accepted. 
As a Christian, I know what it is to be accepted. I know what it is to receive grace. I know what it is to experience that. I know what it is to come to God and find that, oh man, he accepts me. It's an amazing truth. I've been accepted. It's not about how well I perform. It's not about how well I look. I've been accepted. If you have known that acceptance, surely the least we can do is to extend that to others. And particularly in marriage, extend it. Don't be like the, uh, uh, the person who had the debt, who pleads with the king to release him from the debt and then goes back and demands payment for a much, much smaller debt. Don't be like that. If you understand grace for yourself in Jesus, extend it. Accept one another. Why? Because Christ accepted you. And that has to be foundational in marriage. And that deals with the quandary of your partner not changing in the ways you want and changing in the ways that you don't want. You're always reminded, you say, oh, no, that's fine, I'm accepting them. I'm accepting them. It enables you to embrace it. I mean, the passage even speaks about three, just three little things that helps us to accept one another. First of all, it talks about it brings praise to God. Last week, we talked about, after all that discussion around marriage and sex and singleness and divorce and all of that, and wherever you sat on that, in the end, it came down to, do I want my life to honour him? Am I devoted to him? And most of us said, yeah, that's, that's where I want to be. Yeah. Well, acceptance brings honour to God. It glorifies him. When we have learned to accept other people in the same way that he has accepted us, it glorifies him. And this might sound odd, but I think this is true. From that foundation of acceptance, people are more likely to change. They're more likely to change to what you might want them to be. It might sound strange, but on that, they're more likely to change. Why is that? Why are people more likely to change? The truth is that people, particularly in those first early days of marriage and those heady heights of romance and all of that, often people want to please their partner. They, they want to. Yeah? They try to. When they realise that the partner likes it when I wear black jeans, I'll, I'll wear black jeans. Or if you know, my partner wants me to go running, even if I don't go running, I'll go running, yeah? Before we got married, Pauline came to two football matches with me. Oh, joy, yeah? I didn't realise that that's what she was doing. Oh, if, if that makes him happy for me to go to a football match, I'll go, yeah? When we got married, what was revealed was Pauline hated football. <laughs> I was like, how can this be? We spent money and went to two matches with 30,000 other people at Upton Park watching the Hammers. And now you won't even watch match of the day. That was a quandary for me. That was a big one. I was like, oh God, I've got to accept that the real Pauline doesn't actually like football. But as I say, people change. 
Because you want to please your partner. So those early days, you're trying to do it. But the truth is, real lasting change does not come about because you have a desire to please someone else. You must get that. Your desire to please someone else in the end doesn't lead to real lasting deep change in you. Got to be more than that. You need to not only see it for yourself, but you need to recognise, I need to change. Something in me needs to give. Something in me needs to be different. And the reality is, sometimes you're just not ready to change. You're just not there. You're not ready. Even though you want to, and you know you need to, you're not ready. And you kind of need to accept that but do you know what? Your partner needs to accept that. Your partner needs to accept that. When somebody is ready to change, yeah, when your partner, when suddenly Pauline says to me, Owen, are we going to watch Batch of the Day tonight? <laughs> yeah, after the years of prayer and fasting, when Pauline says that to me, yeah, I become her biggest supporter for change. Biggest supporter. Your role is to support. You come alongside them, you encourage them, you help them, you don't criticise them. Yeah? It's one of the biggest sadnesses of, of married life is either sometimes your partner can be your biggest supporter, your biggest fan, or they're your biggest critic. Yeah? It doesn't help being the biggest critic. It really doesn't. If you want them to change... You have, to, you have to kind of support what they're doing rather than getting at them all the time. The third thing that can help motivate is prayer. And this will depend on how much you believe in prayer and the power of prayer. But prayer changes things. That would be my experience. Prayer changes things. Yeah? Things that were like this become like that through prayer. What we did last week was when we talked about husbands live considerately with your wives. Why? So that your prayers are not hindered. There's a real connection. Marriage and prayer. And there are two simple things that you can pray. Firstly, you might want to pray that God would reveal to your partner areas in their life where they need grace to change. Yeah? And if you pray that God reveals it, you don't need to tell them that. You don't need to go, look, I'm just being God's mouthpiece here, let you know that there are some things in your life that you just need to change on. You pray that God would reveal, or at least that he would give you that opportunity for a grace-filled conversation. But secondly, you pray for yourself that you might grow more and more in patience and in that value of acceptance. Sometimes it's that. Because what they're doing is just, it's just them. You know, like you have habits that are annoying, but they're not wrong, they're not bad. They're just annoying. Well, God, I need grace to accept the annoying. I know from our marriage over the years that I have prayed about stuff 
before I've ever raised it with Pauline. I've prayed, I've asked God, I need, I need grace to raise it. This issue's going to be sensitive. I need grace to raise it. And, and by bringing it to him, it also means that it becomes less of an issue for me. Simply by the process of praying. It really helps. And remember, it's God who joined you together and he'll keep you together. If you look to him, he joined you together, he'll keep you together. You need to go to him though. So that's acceptance. And then the second thing I just want to mention, uh, hopefully briefly, is this idea of redemption. Redemption. And where does that come from in marriage? But I feel like it's, it's, it's a massively understated thing, this idea of redemption. This idea of restoration, of, of we're through repentance and forgiveness, restoring things that have gone wrong. Because not every marriage, even though people are together, is thriving. Some marriages, people are together, but the actual relationship is dying. It's dying. And it's not dying because somebody's gone off and committed adultery. It's not dying because of secret pornography problems or addictions. It's dying because day after day after day, people haven't listened to one another. It's that thing of unreasonable behaviour. He's not, he's just, he's just not listening. She's not listening. We're not talking. And, and it's an acceptance. It's almost like the pipe gets blocked and you don't know how to get it out. Or the wheels are beginning to grate because you're no longer using the oil to, to help them move. Redemption is a countercultural approach. Our culture does not respond with redemption. For me, there should be way more repentance and forgiveness in marriage than almost in any other relationship. Way more. Way more, I'm sorry, you're forgiven. Way more of that. Even Christians who make marriage vows before God, repentance and forgiveness can be rare. We walk into marriage subconsciously with red lines that we didn't know we had. It's not that I did something unreasonable one day, but it builds up over time. I get worn down. Something we once thought was unthinkable a few years or months ago becomes an increasing reality. We're going our separate ways. And then you have the really sad reality that I've seen where couples are not even sure they want to they wanna put the effort in. Oh, not sure I can be bothered anymore. It's a sad reality. And then when marriage is failing, it's lost its sparkle or whatever, society's approach is this. Trade in or trade up. Walk away. Do what's best for you. Divorce is justified through phrases like, you must look after number one. It's all about the kids. Whatever makes you happy. Sometimes things just don't work out. We just want different things out of life. It justifies divorce. But for the Christian, that should not be the way. And I want to read a a passage 
um, just very well-known passage, but I want to apply it specifically to marriage. And again, I've done this if you were at a number, a couple of weddings that I've spoken at. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, probably the most used passage in my experience at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love is probably the most misunderstood word in the English language and maybe in any language. And that passage is one of the most <clears throat> misunderstood as well because we often think of that passage, you know, that gets read at weddings, whether they're Christian or they're not Christian. We almost see it as a poem. It's like this poetic phrase about love. Yeah? But actually, you don't need to look too deeply to find that it's very, very practical. It is not poetry. It's practical guidance for marriage. But it's misunderstood. Christian marriage is not about perfect relationships, but it is about humble, faithful, loving ones. You don't need to be perfect. But it really helps if you're a little bit humble, helps if you're faithful, and it helps if you're loving. In that passage we get a really clear definition of love. As I say, it's not poetic, it's practical. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. He's teaching them about spiritual gifts. And then he says, look, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. I'm going to show you the best way forward on this. It's not spoken as a gift. Love is not a gift, but it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love is a fruit. It's what happens when the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You love. And when you love, these things happen. You're more patient. You're more kind. You are not envious. You do not boast. You do not get proud. Incredibly practical stuff. Imagine if a couple sat down as they saw their, their, their relationship head into marriage and they sat down and they said, look, we just need to look or one of them said, I just want us to look at 1 Corinthians 13 because this is what I want it to be like for us if we get married. I want it to be like this. I want us to build our relationship on this idea that we will be patient and kind with one another. You can do that. It's not, it's not magic. It's not impossible. It's not to say it's easy, but it is not magic and it is not impossible to build your relationship on patience and kindness and then you say, I always want to be your biggest fan, your biggest support. I will not envy you. It's tragic how many marriages um, have at the heart of them envy. There's competition. Who's the best? Who does most work? Who owns the most? Who can run the furthest? I mean, sometimes even, I mean, I, I can't remember what you said. Paulie said to me yesterday, I'm better at that than you. And I'm like, my love, we don't need to go there. Yeah? We don't need to have those discussions. You bet you are. Yeah. 
But, but to keep envy out, not to boast, not to be proud. You see, if you're not proud in marriage, repentance and forgiveness come easy. It's practical. And you can choose as a couple to base your marriage on these truths. And if you do, what does God do? He comes and he, can, he helps you. We resist the temptation to envy because our partner's career path seems to be going somewhere and ours doesn't. We resist those temptations. We resist the temptation to allow pride to mean we never say sorry and we never forgive. It also goes on. It's not rude or self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And I, I already talked to you about the boundaries for conflict. Put them in. Sit down. Agree. Okay, where do we go? Where don't we go? Let's agree it. Let's, let's make some decisions here. We don't ever do that. We don't ever do that. You just agree it. You create a culture where you don't do certain things. And because we've kind of created that culture among us, you won't hear our girls call one another names. You'll never hear it. They'll never say, you old blah, blah, blah. They'll never do it. It just doesn't happen in our house. And it's not because we're perfect, but it was a culture that we said, no, that's, that's not going to happen here. So you boundary stuff. And then it says, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. You see, truth-telling is a loving act. So you have to think of a loving way to tell the truth. You've got to think about it. It's how you grow. It's how you, it's how you, it's how you develop. I am definitely a better person because of Pauline's truth-telling in our marriage. I'm better for it, 100%. And if you don't tell the truth to your partner, but you see stuff, do you know what? Other people will see the same stuff. But they won't have the relationship to tell the truth about it. And so sometimes, again, we've seen it over the years, you see a couple and you see inappropriate behaviour by one or the other of them or, or, or excessive behaviour or something that is really inappropriate, and often, Paulie and I will say, oh, she's never told him. She's never said, no, 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 don't do that. When you do that, this is what it looks like. Or he's never received it. Truth-telling is really important. Love, as we read in 1 Corinthians 13, should be the foundation of the married relationship in a very practical way. It's a choice. It's a choice. Does your marriage have within it the practical ways that that describes? Talks about love always protects. So you're always covering one another. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. If you operate like that, love will never fail you and your marriage won't just survive, it will thrive. It will thrive. You'll get to 29 years and you'll be happy. Yeah? You won't be like, oh man, how did we make it this far? You won't go home and actually you don't communicate. You've just learned to live alongside one another. It will never fail. 
I want us to uh, uh, respond. I'm just going gonna, gonna to pray. But I'd like you just to close your eyes for a moment and I've got a couple of questions to ask us all. If you're married here, I want you to reflect for a moment on your marriage. With your eyes closed on your own, reflect for a moment on your marriage. If you're not married here, I want you to reflect for a moment on your closest relationships. Those people who are really close to you. I want you to reflect for a moment. In this reflection, I want you to be honest with yourself as best you can. How are you doing on grace? How are you doing on that thing of acceptance? Have you accepted whoever it is you're married to or your close friends so that you're not fighting things inside, so that you're not dissatisfied in the relationship? Second question I just want you to reflect on for a moment is how are you doing with redemption, with, with the restoration? How are you doing with mistakes that you or your partner have made that hasn't been sorted? There's not forgiveness, there's not repentance. You hold it over them. How are you doing on that? How are you doing on... Uh, it's possible to find redemption here. Oh, no, you've, you've crossed a line. I'll never forgive. How are you doing on that? And that doesn't need to be a big thing. We're not talking about someone's run off with somebody. But we might just talk, be talking about an ongoing scenario that causes you pain. How are you doing on those things? When you think about your marriage or when you think about your closest relationships. Because if you're Christian, just so you know, you can do better than you're doing. Not, and not because you're great or because, oh, I need to try harder. But because you can extend the grace that's been extended to you in Christ. Because when you repented and came to Jesus, in whatever way that happened, and you received his forgiveness, you can do the same. You can do the same. It's not, it's not impossible. I'm not saying it's easy. A few months ago, no, it was a couple of years ago maybe, when God brought to mind that people I needed to repent to. And the first time they came to mind, I was shocked. And I was walking along and I audibly said, No! No! I was thinking they needed to repent to me. Not me to them. But sometimes God in his grace, he doesn't quite wear you down, but shows it to you again. And after a while you go, wow, if keeping this relationship with you, Father, requires this, I'll do it. If keeping the sweetness of your presence and the sensitivity of your spirit in my life is what's requires me to do this, I'll do it. I'll do it. 
how are you doing on these things? I'm going to pray for us. Let's just stand in, in our response. I'm just going to pray. And you, you know what you need to do. You know, um, I don't need to give loads of direction here. You know if there are people you need to go and forgive. You know if you need to change your perspective. You, need, you know if you need to repent to your husband or your wife or your close friends, your family. You know, you know. I don't need to tell you. You know. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the way you've gathered us here today. We thank you for... Um, bringing us here in your sovereign plan and purpose, we're here. And I thank you, Father, for truth that sets people free. And I believe this is truth that sets people free. It puts them on, on a solid and strong platform, a fruitful and flourishing life and relationships. And Lord, we've talked predominantly about marriage, an important close relationship but father some of us are not married but we have close friends and i pray even in those relationships we will know that reality of grace and redemption we'll forgive people we'll repent where we need to we'll accept where we need to and so i pray father for everyone here to experience right now your grace your loving acceptance of us, your forgiveness, and that that will become a very strong foundation to bring that to others. And Lord, where there are many things that you've spoken to us about today, I pray that we will take hold and we will diligently put into practice what we know we must put into practice. Preparation is important. Planning helps. These things are important for us. I pray this all in your name and for your glory. Amen. Okay, you can take your seat. If you have a question, you can write it down. Uh, yeah, I hope to see you next week. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.